Nintendo. edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz, we talked the world of Hawkeye athletics with you as we put a close on the 2020-21 basketball season, both for the men and the women that come to an end. For the Iowa men, disappointment, I know, in a lot of people's minds. We're going to talk through that here today. Fran McCaffrey, his program now after 11 years, where it goes from here. Also talk some football in today's program. Biz, here we are in, in a spot where, I'm not going to lie, I was hoping we'd be preparing for a matchup against the Zags this evening. Yeah, the timing of this is kind of depressing. This is, I think everybody's ultimate goal is that we would get to this point and then hope to get lucky and, and pull off a miracle against the Zags. But, uh, you know, it was uh, disappointing. I think it's the right word for it, Trent. It was, you know, we've now had a, a week or week and a half to – to get some perspective on it, and you realize uh, still a really good team and a, and a good year, but, uh, you know, they just uh, – they are what we, we thought they were, Trent. They're just not good enough on the defensive end to make a, make a uh, an extended run in March. Yeah, it all showed up. You know, the things that we'd been complaining about, wondering about, frustrated about, it, it all came to a head in that game. And the things that could have happened – the frustrating part, and this is where my fan kind of part of it comes in, is, you know, though we get annoyed with Fran, I think we're both considered very much Fran guys. We believe in what he has done as a program, getting it back to the spot that they were. And the NCAA tournament, it is a crapshoot. You take it on an Oregon team that was Pac-12 champion, and we saw in this tournament maybe a little more talented conference than many people believe coming into it. But if they would have played any of the other seven seeds, I think they would have got to the Sweet 16. We've been talking in our text thread about the last 16 NCAA tournaments. Iowa has not had an upset that happened before them in order to open up the bracket, if you will, for them. 16 straight tournaments. That hasn't happened. There was no Oral Roberts waiting for them. There was no going back in the day, Coppin State sitting there in the round of 32. No, that was not the case. Instead, you're taking on these teams, and it continually happens for Iowa. One game difference, I, I think, would have made a world of difference for most people's perceptions of Fran McCaffrey. Yeah, well, and, you know, you brought in the luck aspect of it a little bit, Trent. And, you know, not only was there not an upset before us, but there wasn't a game before us. Yes, yeah. It, yeah. it was a huge advantage that, that Oregon did not have to play a game. I, I thought at first I was kind of in the camp that it might help us because I thought they might have some first-game jitters, but – uh it was very obvious three, four minutes into the game that they did not have first-game jitters and that they had the fresher legs as well. Because you, know, you kind of forget, you know, the second half was just so ugly that for 18 minutes that was as about as entertaining as college basketball gets, and it was up and down. And, you know, we were up four with whatever, three minutes to go in the first half. Um, and then once they punched us in the mouth at the end of the first half, we just didn't seem to have the energy to, to battle back in the second half. So certainly I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, the reason we lost is because Oregon got a bye in the game before. I mean, Oregon was just a better team than us. That's, anybody that doesn't say that wasn't watching the same game we were. But uh, you're right. It, it was, you know, a different situation if we would have played, you know, Florida or, you know, it, you know, Rutgers and Maryland ended up being 10 seeds that both got 
that beat seven seeds. You know, the, the, all those teams were all beatable. We, you know, we haven't gotten much luck over the years, and we certainly didn't get much luck this year either. No, not at all. And, you know, you look at Oregon, they go out, of course, against the Hawkeyes, hitting threes all over the place. They hit 11, 11 to 25. They score 1.27 points per possession. And then against U.S. or defending USC is then Iowa, but they couldn't throw it in the ocean. They're 5 of 21 from deep. And some of that luck, it just, that's the way that it goes. And yes, there is a luck component to this. And the luck has not gone Iowa's way. Figueroa, he was great against the Hawkeyes. He was terrible against USC. Just the way that the world goes. But in order to do that and to put yourself in the conversation, things do have to change a little bit, I think, for Iowa basketball. Well, it's amazing. The the teams that commit to playing defense seem to have a whole lot more luck go their way. (laughs) I mean, you you look at – I agree. There is a luck component to it. But it wasn't luck that Oregon shot – you know, 50% from threes against us and then 15% against USC. It was just better defense. I mean, their zone was so much more active and so much more cohesive than, than what we tried to throw out there. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot over the last month. This team had to commit to a defense, and they tried. They tried to commit to man-to-man defense. But, you know, when when Oregon could just dribble right by us and score repeatedly for the first 10 minutes, I don't blame Fran for trying the zone and, and hoping you get some luck. But like you said, Figueroa and others were, were on fire. And, you know, you look at the numbers, just pure numbers. We shot 46%. We out-rebounded Oregon. We had 13 offensive rebounds, 22 assists, and only one more turnover than them. You know, when you look at those types of numbers, those are winning numbers or at least, numbers that should have you in the game in the last couple minutes. And instead, you know, it wasn't even the competitive second half, which just shows you just how brutal our defense was. I mean, you you can't compete in March and play the type of defense that we did. This team's going to look different. We're going to get into the future also of it. But before we do, I'll look back at the careers of Luca Garza, Jordan Bohannon, and I think we anticipate Joe Wieskamp. Let's start with the All-American, though, the National Player of the Year, Luca Garza. Seeing him go out, firing up three-pointers, just working so hard to try to do anything to get the team back into the game. Obviously, he was not helped out. The guard court starters don't score any points in the game. But Luca Garza, this is going to be one we're going to look back upon. And we all love Luca. We love what he's meant to the program. But just remember how lucky we were to be able to watch this guy for the last four years. Yeah, I'll admit, Trent, I was, you know, I got a little emotional seeing him come off the court there late in the game. And it's, you know, he truly is a once in a lifetime player for Iowa. I don't think we'll ever see somebody that, you know, does what he, you know, came in as a middle of the road recruit and ended out the best player in, in Iowa history. And I know, you know, if we have older listeners that may disagree with that and, and make strong arguments for, for Ronnie Lester or Fred Brown and people like that. But, uh, you know, for our generation, there's no doubt he's the best Iowa player of all time. And and to see him go out with a performance like that was pretty awesome. It was. It was kind of the guy that we've seen throughout. How about Jordan Bohannon? How are you going to remember J-Bo? I'm not going to lie. There are times that I roll my eyes. The the whole the parking meter thing annoyed the crap out of me. It is also because I wasn't playing very well at the time. But – the free throw missed on purpose and keeping the the streak alive for Chris Street. 
absolutely incredible. Leaving the show, the shoes on the court at Hilton Coliseum. Yeah, there were times, but that's kind of who he is. He's wired a little bit differently. You remember how you'll remember Jordan Bohannon. I think as time goes on, he'll be viewed more favorable than he is right now. I mean, some of his his antics really wore on people, and you know he. He certainly wasn't afraid to pick fights with, with people. And, and I, I'm like you, that got annoying after a while. But, you know, I think when people look back, they'll remember the things you just talked about, some of the, the, the things he did. And, you know, just, you know, more than anything, I'll remember his, you know, just how amazing he was late in that freshman year and then into the sophomore year. I mean, he, that guy was an assassin late in games. And, and, you know, he certainly had his limitations, you know, but he got the most out of his ability. And I, and I think people will really appreciate him. You know, as time goes on, as long as he uh, <laughs> doesn't doesn't say anything too stupid down the road, so <laughs> right. that, that's a, that's a big yeah. So yeah, the third person in the equation, Trent. I'll just ask you. You know, it sounds like everybody has already made a foregone conclusion that Wee's camp is is leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, why why is he leaving? I, I don't understand. He is not anywhere near a finished product. I watched that. You know, I watched the the. Baylor game last night, he wouldn't start for Baylor. I mean, he's not he's not anywhere as good as their three guards. I mean, he's not a good defensive player. He, he's inconsistent. I mean, I'm not trying to badmouth Wieskamp. He's a really good player, and he had a really good second half of the year. But I, I'd be surprised if he gets drafted. I, I just I think he's a late second-round draft pick right now. Why not come back and put up 20 a game and show that you can be an absolute star and not just a, you know, an inconsistent role player who, who played really well the last month. Because I, I don't get it. I, I just don't get why it's a foregone conclusion that he's, he's going to the NBA. I, I think it's a bad choice. I, is there anything he could do next year? Say he does come back and he goes from a 46% three-point shooter and he's over 50 and he averages 22 a game and he's an All-American. Does that make him a first-round draft pick? I think it does. It does. Okay. I think I think I think he has a, you know, I think he has more to prove than what Luke. I mean, Luca is what he is, and I think scouts knew last year what he is. And they know what he is now. I think Wieskamp, the last month started to scratch the surface of what he can be. I mean, if he can come back and be the focal point of, of every defense and shoot forty six, forty eight percent again, you know, I, I think they'll look at him and say, "Man, this guy is is not just a good shooter; he's an elite shooter." Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he could come back and show I can defend NBA basketball players because right now he can't. I mean, I, I just don't know what NBA team is going to look at him and say he can guard people off the dribble because he, he didn't do a very good job of it this year. And, uh, again, he'll probably get drafted somewhere late second round, but that's not a guaranteed you know, contract. And I, I, just, I, think he, I think he could have a ton to gain by coming back one more year. He's going to be, what, 22 in August, and maybe that's a part of it too. I mean, are, are they going to be looking at a 23-year-old guy next year that is even a, a first-round draft pick? That's the part I, I think that would also be a struggle. You know how the NBA drafts, and it's so much about potential, even with a great year. To be a 3 and D guy, you're exactly right. He's got to be actually get that defensive component. And the other thing is he's one of the few guys on this roster that can get to the rim consistently. If he could tighten up his handle along with the shooting prowess that we know that he has, maybe he can develop into that guy. You've you've swayed me a little bit more that maybe there is enough upside that if he does come back and put in that kind of season, 
he would be a guy that could jump up there and become a, a late first round draft pick with a great season. But he's at the very least, we know he's going to put his name in. He's going to get the going to get the information and the feedback from the scouts and, and the NBA people, and then we're going to go from there. We camp back and well, let's go there. There's two routes now to take as we look to the future of Iowa basketball. One without Joe Wieskamp, one with it. Let's play the game that he does come back. What are your expectations for Iowa basketball next season then? Well, if he comes back, they're a top 20 team, but I honestly think that conversation's irrelevant. I think he's already made the decision. I mean, from every hint and comment that any media people have made, I mean, it's it's not a matter of if he goes, it's when, when he's going. So, I mean, if he comes back, I think we're, we're clearly – and I think you're probably ranked in the top 15 next year, don't you? Let's see. Wieskamp, Frederick, McCaffrey, and, of course, Murray. Uh, Nunji back. Top 20. Yeah, I think top 20. But we're going to see these that are going to come out next week at this time after the championship game. And because of most people probably believe that Wieskamp is gone, I don't think they're going to show up there. But I think that's fair. Yeah, this is going to be a team kind of like the team – a year ago, the 2019-2020 team, you know, in the range of a 5-6-7 seed, something like that, I think that'd be a realistic, realistic expectation with that squad, again, with Wieskamp back. Yeah, but again, I don't think he's coming back, so I think the realistic discussion is, what's this team look like without without him? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic this can be a good team, with or without him. I, I think they've got, it's going to be a totally different team. It's going to be Honestly, the type of team I think Fran has always wanted, which is, you know, more athletic, more range, more, you know, length throughout, you know, the two through five positions. And, you know, he's been somewhat hamstrung, but, you know, for all the great things Jabo and and Garza bring to the team, I mean, we could have been the greatest coached defensive team in the world, and we still just weren't going to be a great defensive team Mm -hmm. because Garza and Jabo just were not good defensive players. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get to see, I, mean, I think it's the first time in a while that Fran's going to get a true team of what he really wants, which is, uh, you know, a bunch of lanky athletic guys that can run the court and play uh, his type of ball. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, again, at some point in time, we have to quit pretending that we are, uh, athletic and good enough to just outscore teams because it doesn't work. We've seen it, what, three times in the last four visits to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that game against Oregon was just a repeat of what we saw against uh, Villanova and Gonzaga a few years back. I mean, just fun teams, teams that, you know, did things well, but when it got to the point when they had to uh, step up, they got run out of the gym by more athletic opponents. And, you know, this team is going to be more athletic next year, but they're not as athletic as, as Oregon or Villanova and teams like that. No, no, not at all. And if this team is going to be good next year and top half of the league, you know, fighting for even an NCAA tournament bid, C.J. Frederick has to be right the whole season long. We know he's a great shooter, but he's also a guy that can beat people off the bounce. But how about this? After he shut it down in that first game against Indiana, he scored in double figures just two times the rest. Now, check that one time the rest of the year. Just wants to even score in double figures. You know, for this team to be good, he's got to be what? 12, 13 probably point score for that squad minus Wieskamp next year? Well, I mean, you know, you know, I'm the world's biggest CJ Frederick fan, and I just, I love his game in general. 
but he was not very good nope. late in the year. And not only was he not healthy, but he kind of lost his confidence a little bit. I mean, some of the that's the thing I've always loved about C.J. Frederick is that you know he's not afraid to to step up and make big shots and, and kind of was a calming influence when things would would struggle for our team. And that didn't happen the last few games. He, he just didn't look comfortable on the court, and I think he was almost trying to, just, you know, almost not make mistakes, which is not T.J. Frederick. That's just not the way he is. So uh, I agree. I think he's kind of the X factor. If he can be the C.J. Frederick that we've seen and he can do it for, you know, 32 minutes a game instead of 15 minutes a game, then, then this team can be a, a legit NCAA tournament team. He, the other thing I love about him, you talk about confidence, is the big shot going back to his freshman year. Who were who they playing out in, was it Vegas or something like that? Uh, and he hit a big shot late in one of the exempt tournaments. So maybe it was the Cincinnati game. Regardless, he's a guy that wants the ball in those spots. He didn't want the ball the last month of the season. And he also jaw. Go back to the Illinois game a year ago. He was one of the guys that was face-to-face. There's that famous picture of Connor uh, face-to-face with it was Richardson or whoever it was from Illinois. But CJ was right there, and I believe he was the one that told them to get off his blanket floor after they beat Illinois the first time a year ago. That's CJ Frederick. That confidence, that swagger, it was gone the last month of the season. Uh, inside, they're going to need help. Nunji's coming off a of meniscus. I, it was good that it wasn't another ACL tear for him. Recovery looks like he's going to be okay, but a gun delay. Is that a guy that could, you could even anticipate gives you more than six, seven minutes a game next year? Next year, no. I mean, I think Fran's, Fran knows he's got to go find somebody in the transfer portal. Uh, doesn't have to be a superstar, but it's got to be somebody that can, uh, you know, play 10 to 15 minutes. And obviously, you've seen the same people I have in the transfer portal. Obviously, if we could get someone like Miles Johnson oh. or, the, or, the, or the bearded guy from Eastern Washington, that would be uh, – <laughs> A slam dunk, but that, that, those things aren't going to happen. I mean, those 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 guys are transferring to go find a established team and try to make a, a deep run, and, and we're not that established team right now. So, you know, I think you've got to find, you know, somebody that can can fill in in case Nunji gets hurt again, or you know, just somebody that you know front court depth. So I'd be shocked if we don't hear sometime in the next month that we're we're signing some six-foot-nine guy from somewhere. We're excited about what we saw late in the season out of Patrick McCaffrey. Of course, we've sung the praises of Keegan Murray, and I think Chris is going to be fine. It all comes down to me, though, the point guard position. It is going to be a different type of point guard out there. Joe Toussaint, when it's going well and he's throwing those throw-ahead passes to Patrick, it's a thing of beauty. When it's not right, though, the guy looks like he has two left feet. It's just crazy, and he's wild, and he's inconsistent. We don't know anything I don't feel about Aaron Eulis. Do, do we? Well, I, to me, it's pretty simple across the board with this team. Can this team shoot the basketball next year? I mean, if they can consistently make three-pointers, I think they can be a really good team. You mentioned Eulis. I mean, we don't know anything. Can, can you, Aaron Eulis shoot the basketball? We don't know. No clue. Tony Perkins, we don't know. I mean, we both know – we know – both Patrick and Keegan have been very inconsistent from outside. We need both of them to be, you know, 35% three-point shooters. Toussaint's got to be willing to at least shoot occasionally from outside. He made a three against Oregon, and I looked, and it was the first one in, like, 16 games. So, I mean, we're – and then Connor, obviously, you know, can't shoot. So, you know, it's rare to say this with a Fran team, but can they shoot the basketball? I mean, that's going to be 
they're going to have the talent and athleticism to, to get up and down the court. And like you said, Patrick and Joe and Keegan are fun to watch, get up and down. But uh, if they can't shoot, it doesn't mean much. Can we uh, – you talked about defense. Can we just completely ditch whatever that crap defense they were trying to run this year? They, they just <laughs> – it wasn't that – yes, there's limitations. Luca, limitation defensively. Bo, yeah. But they just – there were so many times that they didn't look like they had a clue what they even should do. How could that happen at the collegiate level? Well, that's what just infuriates me about our zone defenses. We, we don't seem to have any clue what, what our zone defense is actually – trying to accomplish it just we never seem like we're on the same page at all but you know we got to get stat boy involved today when when we talk defense i had stat boy just look up real quick for us our tourney losses over the last 34 years Uh you know or and it's amazing defense has been (laughs) a problem for iowa basketball for a long long time you want to hear how many points we've given up in our last 16 uh, tournament losses well, I can remember vividly the, the losses here recently, and, and even going back in the day, one year running off the floor by Arizona. Go ahead through this disaster. All right, here we go. Here's the numbers, and this goes back to the 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 87 loss to UNLV where we, we blew it in the second half. So here, starting with that, here's the points. 84, 99, 102, 85, 75, 84, 87, 75, 78, 92, 76, only 64, and then 78, 87, 83, and 95. So 15 out of our 16 losses, we've given up 75-plus points. Do you, do you remember the one that we only gave up 74? Do you remember what that one was? Or 64, I mean. Oh, was, was that Northwestern State? Yeah. So the, the worst of the 16 losses was the only one where we didn't give up a ton of points. But uh, – 15 out of 16 games, we gave up 75 or more. 11 out of the 16 games, we gave up 83 or more. You want to guess, uh, out of this year's NCAA tournament, you want to guess how many teams that have won games, any any game in the NCAA tournament at all, how many NCAA tournament winners gave up 83 or more points? Two. You're close. One. <laughs> Kansas. Kansas gave up 84 to uh, Eastern Washington in the opening round. Every team that is still playing right now, the the 16s are still playing, none of them have given up 75 or more in a game. So uh, it's it's been a a history, historical problem for Iowa. Defense has never been a uh, a focus of ours. The only guy that focused on defense was was. Our man Licklider. So maybe what I'm saying, Trent, is we need to bring Licklider back. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not no, at I mean, all. We need to find the we need to find a happy medium somewhere between yeah. uh, you know, an offensive minded coach and someone that at least pretends to focus on defense a little bit. Let's go a little deeper into Fran here and some of the revisionist history that is out there about the Doctor Tom era and. For all intents and purposes, it comes down to one game. When they came back and beat Arkansas in his final season in 99, that doesn't happen. We're talking about a guy that would gone a decade plus without a sweet 16. For my, outside of when George Raveling was butting up with Ed Martin and getting Roy Marble and the Michigan guys to come to Iowa and doing it however George did, this is Iowa basketball. This is what this program was under Dr. Tom when he had his own guys and 
probably what the level it should be. I understand. People want to go and take that next step and, and get to the next spot. I just think this is Iowa basketball. Fran McCaffrey has returned them to what they should be. Is there a guy out there that can get it to the next level? I'm just not sure. Uh, well, to me, there's three different ways that we can kind of take that that next step and finally, you know, burst the ceiling, get to the Sweet 16 again. I mean, there's three options, Trent. So tell me which of these three is the most likely. One, Fran has to make some changes. He has to quit being so stubborn and, and change some things. That, that's one option. Two, we, we, we've got it hit on some recruits. We got, we got to recruit a little better and we've got to get some people that are, uh, you know, Fran's got, Fran has high hopes of recruiting sometimes, but rarely hits on those high recruits. So we need to get lucky and hit on one or two of them. Or third option is what we just talked about earlier. We've got to get some good luck to go our way. We got, we got to get a better draw. We got to get an upset before us. You know, like you said, that hasn't happened in a long, long time for Iowa basketball. So uh, realistically, what's the, what's the best way we get to Sweet 16? Fran changes, we recruit a little better, or we just get some good luck? I think good luck. I, and it's, I don't know, maybe people consider that a cop-out, but it's reality. It's a reality that luck has not happened in the bracket for Iowa. And just go back to last year. They were probably going to be a six seed in the NCAA tournament, not knowing what would have happened in the Big Ten tournament. Say they were a six seed. Six seeds, well, we're going to watch one tonight in USC that got there. You get the right draw. You get the right matchup. That happens. Maybe next year Iowa does slip in, and they're playing in the first four. But they get a draw like UCLA did, and all of a sudden you get on a run. Those things happen. VCU, when they got to the final four, they did it as an 11 seed coming out of the first four. Matchups matter so much, and it goes hand in hand. You get the right matchups. You get a break. You have a bracket open up and an upset. That's realistic because we know Fran's not going to change. He is who he is, good or bad. That is, Fran McCaffrey is going to be the same guy that he has always been. In the right, I have a story for you here. Omaha Blue, an incredible talent, played on the Waukee State Championship team this year after transferring in from Dowling. And he's an immense talent, but, and he likes the Iowa program. He likes McCaffrey. He, if everything was the same and it was an even playing surface, Iowa would have a great chance of getting Omaha Blue, but they're not going to get Omaha. They're not going to get Omaha because they don't swim in those waters. I think we all know what that means, but they're not going to play that game. So the recruiting side of it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at that kind of level to get those kind of kids. Well, along those same lines, we need the uh, name, image, and likeness stuff to pass as quickly as possible because I think people pretend that the name, image, and likeness is going to hurt programs like Iowa. Mm -hmm. I think it's really going to help programs Mm -hmm. like Iowa because I think it will level the playing field a little bit and you can be creative and and show some of those guys that, hey, you can either be the, you know, the third most popular guy on the Kansas team or you can be an absolute legend here in Iowa and and you can uh, make some money off of that. And, you know, I think we can sell that because I think you're right. We we don't swim in those waters and we don't do some of the things that – Maybe necessary to get some of those guys, but with the name, image, and likeness, you may not need to do that quite as much. So, you know, it's again all that speculation. You, you and I don't. I mean, you probably know better than I do, and you probably hear more than I do. But you know, I think we all assume there's some uh, under the table things going on certain places, and I think we also assume Iowa either doesn't do it or doesn't do it to the extent that other teams do. Different world and a different world and. The Kansases and the Arizonas of the world, they do things differently 
in the Iowa and um again, they're gonna get punished they're gonna get punished for that no 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 somebody yeah, will at get some there point they have to at least complete their investigation don't they I mean you would think you'd like you'd like to think there'd be at least some ruling come down at some point but uh I don't know it's that could be a whole nother podcast so that, but trying I, I had stat by do one more thing before mm-hmm. we move on to football I was watching the Florida State game in the sweet 16 and it made me realize uh I think our best-case scenario is that we hope Fran ter- does exactly what Leonard Hamilton did. <laughs> you, you ever look at Leonard Hamilton's career at FSU? Uh, I mean, I, mean I, I know he's been there for a while. He was at Miami. He went to the NBA with the Wizards for a while. But what, it, what changed for Leonard Hamilton? Well, he, I mean, he's been there for 18 years. And the first eight – it took him eight years to even get to the NCAA tournament. It was his eighth year. And through 14 – years he had a total of four ncaa wins but uh you know over the last three appearances in the NCAA tournament they've won seven times and they've made three straight sweet 16s and i think i tweeted this out to our group leonard hamilton is 72 years old i mean that guy's been there a long time and done, done it uh, for a long time as well i mean i think that's our best case scenario with fran because as we know fran got an extension and he's going to be with us until what 2028 mm-hmm. so He'll be pushing 70 by then. So, you know, you hope that one of those three things happens. Either Fran adjusts a little bit, we start getting lucky, or or we hit a slam dunk on a recruit. And, you know, it certainly seems like Keegan Murray may be that, you know, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but watching it, Keegan Murray seems to me like he is a legit NBA recruit for us. And and we we get one in the door that can, you know, Unfortunately, Fran doesn't have a lot to point at and say, hey, you know, I, I put kids in the NBA. Keegan can hopefully be that turning point for us over the next few years because, uh, you know, watching a lot of NCAA basketball the last three weeks, Keegan Murray could fit in anywhere. That, that kid, uh, he's, he's pretty special, and, and hopefully he, uh, you know, continues to do it over the next few years. And hopefully uh, Chris is, is very similar to him, and I, I think that is going to be the case and uh, get to see both of them out there doing their thing. I, I'm, I'm excited about the future. And yes, there are things that do get annoying that we get into all the time and the two foul ideas and the use of timeouts and drawing plays up. And we both believe Fran's really good at it. Just wish he'd do it a little bit more. But as a whole, Iowa basketball is relevant again. It's consistent. I know, Biz, I, I've relayed this to you before, but some of the people I know on the national level of college basketball, just how poorly the Iowa job was considered back when he took the job 11 years ago. And there were many people that were very surprised that he took this job when he had better opportunities in many people's minds. Almost everybody thought he was going to take the St. John's job, but wanted to get back to the Midwest. He he wanted to give it a run in the Midwest and bring his kids back closer to their grandparents on the mom's side. So there was a lot that went into it here. I consider us lucky that we have Fran McCaffrey. Yeah, there's things that tick us off, but still overall – been pretty good and to actually have something fun to watch about and us just not making fun of guys out there playing when the lick lighter years it's a lot more fun to get mad like we do and the original let's get mad again yeah Iowa basketball makes me mad again well and it's I've said this before Trent but I really really appreciate how Fran has gone about building this team I mean maybe this makes me sound like a, a grumpy old man but I really like that we haven't ran after a million transfers every year and tried to just slap together a team year in and year out. He's tried to build a program and has it worked? 
Yes and no. I mean, we're clearly back to the point, like you said, we're back to the Tom Davis era where, you know, we're going to compete for NCAA bids year in and year out, I think. But, you know, is it work to the extent that Fran probably wanted it to? Probably not. I mean, I think he'd tell you that, you know, you know it's simple as, you know, we hit on a, you know, if, if Tyler Uless comes here five years ago, we're probably talking about a totally different thing. Or even DJ Carton decides to come here. At some point, we just got to get some luck, either either in the NCAA tournament or on the recruiting trail. Somebody's got to take a leap of faith and say, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to come to Iowa and, and make this program uh, to the next, take to the next level. That would be great to see. All right, Biz, just a couple minutes left, but uh, let's talk some football. Depth chart is out. First uh, press conference yesterday from Kirk Ferentz. Your takeaway here as we get ready for spring football and two opportunities, hopefully, to see this team. Where the hell is Deuce Hogan, Trent? (laughs) Uh, We knew that was... I can't stand our fan base sometimes. Like, like, uh, have you if you paid attention to Iowa football ever? Like, all of our, you know, not once ever has some random person popped up in the first uh, in the first depth chart to start spring. I mean, it's, it's that I made the mistake of clicking on the comments uh, to one of uh, oh, no. the posts, and I think five out of the first six posts were uh, Deuce Hogan's going to transfer. We're wasting his potential, and I was like, oh, <laughs> Lord, people just. Just take a deep breath and enjoy the fact that we have a depth chart to look at. We've got some football to talk about. So, I don't know. I, I don't have any magic things to say about the depth chart because I, I don't think they, the coaching staff itself puts a, much effort into the depth chart. I think they just kind of slap it together and say, let's go play some football. And I'm excited, like you said. looks like we might get some chances to actually see them, which would be pretty awesome. Yes, it would. The two things that jumped out is I thought we were going to see an open competition at quarterback. That's not going to happen. This is Spencer Petras' job. Uh, as bad as he was at times, and he was as bad as an Iowa quarterback, has been short of Jake Christensen and the Ferrets Sarah. He's going to be the guy, and hopefully what they believe they see is going to show up this season because it's Indiana and Iowa State, two preseason top 15 teams to kick it off. But secondly, my concern is I, I love the back seven on defense. They're going to be great. And I think they're going to be stout up front against the run. Where's the pass rush going to come from? Where, how are they going to be able to generate it? It might be we're going to see a lot more coming off the edge with the linebackers and the cash position because that front doesn't exactly scary in terms of getting the quarterback. No, I mean, you know, we had that same conversation last year, Trent, too. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about that same thing before last year and said, you know, with the loss of Epinesa, where are we going to get pressure from? And, and we found a way to do it last year. And, you know, I, I guess right now I'm willing to kind of give the benefit of the doubt. I thought we did a really nice job outside that first game, Purdue. I thought our defensive line ended up being one of, if not our biggest strength. And, and I think we've done a really good job the last few years of rotating some of those guys in so they at least get some experience. Do we have a bunch of starters coming back? No, but, you know, Evans and Shannon and all those guys, they they put in some snaps. And I, and I think even – how you pronounce the name? Is it Yaya? Yaya or, yeah, I mean, even he got in 50 snaps late in the year. So, you know, I think, I think if you ask the coaching staff, I think they're probably more cautiously optimistic about the D line than, than, than they have been in years past. I think they've, they've done a good job of, of getting people some snaps and at least get them some action. Um, and then obviously Van Volkenberg coming back is just huge. I mean, that guy, I mean, I thought he was 
probably the most consistent defensive lineman we had all year. I mean, Davion Nixon was clearly the best, but mm-hmm. you know, he his flashes of brilliance. Also, there were some games he did nothing. And then Volkerberg, you just look at his stats. I mean, that guy was good for a, a sack and two tackles for loss every game almost. I mean, he was he was as consistent as they come. Exciting football and a full football season in front of us and perhaps full stands, as uh, Gary Parta talked about that a little bit yesterday. Oh, boy. Game one, Indiana coming to town. A beautiful late summer, early fall day at Kinnick Stadium. Biz, sign me up for that. If you heard anything, I mean, I know they had talked about maybe some Friday night games that first week or making it a night game. You heard anything at all on, on scheduling for that game? It does not appear like they are going, at least right now, that that is going to be the Friday game. Barta mentioned not this. Does uh, not appear to be? Does not, yeah. He had mentioned they are still open for basically only Labor Day weekend to play that Friday game. But it looks like there's a couple other Big Ten games that might uh, have that spot. Again, nothing is dictated completely yet. TV schedules will normally come out in April and May. We'll see if that's the case this year. But I would say it's a better chance than not that it'll be on Saturday as opposed to Friday. That's I'm, I'm all in on that. I'm not a fan of Friday football in general. So uh, Saturday, Saturday 2.30 slot would be pretty awesome. Yes. Or, or even a nighttime game, either one. But Don't have to twist my I, arm. Biz, let's get out of here with Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for business beat of the day. Okay, here's business beat of the day. Well, Trent, we talked about basketball. We talked about football. We might as well finish it with some baseball. Uh, return to Major League Baseball this year, Trent. And, and I'm just going to call it Tw- Twins Mets World Series this year, Trent. This is it. This is we, the year. We at least have – both of us have some hope. So uh, we might as well just take that hope and run with it, Trent. Uh, well, I'll see you in the Twin Cities in October for uh, World Series Game One. All right, you're buying the tickets. I'll uh, I'll buy the beer. How about that? You know what? If that actually comes to, <laughs> if all of that happens, if it's Twins Mets Game One in the Twin Cities, I will buy us two tickets. Wow, here. that that we we have that on tape. Let me make sure that we didn't lose the recording of that one. Yes, all right. I believe that is a legal binding document. You're a lawyer. Is that good? <laughs> Well, yeah, but I want you to know I'm drinking a lot of beer, so it, it may end up being a loss for you. Uh, <laughs> a lot of green belts that at, day. At, at, at $10 a pop, I, I don't plan on being sober by the end of that game. Understatable, no doubt. I uh, I haven't seen, you know, a lot of times there'll be sports books that have World Series who against who. I haven't seen them yet, but I'm going to do a little research here uh, today and see if we can find that matchup. We can even bet on it, make a little money. Yeah, but, but, but I'm guessing the, the odds of Twins Mets is not high on the list. So we can we can take take the big odds and uh, we can use that money to buy the tickets. Yes, in one trip. Yeah, yeah. there you go. We're, we're uh, we just got the game the game plans in place. So Two birds, one stone. Given the history of the Twins and Mets, I don't see how this failed. Yeah, yes, this is trending in a positive direction. Ah, uh, Biz, it's great to have baseball back. It's great to be talking basketball and football and uh, vaccines around the corner for most everybody. Great time. Feels like we're trending in a positive direction, and we'll talk about it again soon. Maybe even a little Hawkeye baseball here on the horizon. You going to get out to Dwayne Banks Field for a game? I, I hope so. The weather cooperates. It seems like they kind of saved their season last weekend. It was yeah. on the verge of uh, getting ugly, but now I look at their schedule coming up. They play some uh, very, very winnable games the next four weeks, so hopefully they can catch a hot streak and do what, what – uh, 
Heller usually does, which is uh, make them competitive by the end of the year. It looks like they got a chance, and you're right. The schedule certainly eases up here. Basically, the rest of the year, great shape for them uh, to make a run here, get towards the top of the Big Ten, and then, well, got to win that thing and put themselves in the NCAA tournament. That'll do it, Biz. We'll do it again soon. Thanks for your time. All right, go Hawks.